Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're currently walking verse by verse through the book of 1 John. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. If you are a guest with us today, we as a church family are simply studying straight through a letter that is contained for us in the scripture, in the Bible. It's towards the very end of the New Testament, towards the very end of the Bible. And it's in our Bibles. It's called 1 John. So if you have your Bible and you want to go ahead and open it to 1 John, we're going to be in chapter 4 today. And over the next four weekends, we're going to start today in verse 7. Over the next four weekends as a church, we're going to study through the end of this chapter. There's 15 verses that we're going to take four weekends and unpack. And, and these 15 verses, you really, as you read them, are, are just captured by this one dominant theme. And it's the theme of love. As a matter of fact, in these 15 verses that conclude this section of the letter, John, the writer who was one of the apostles of Jesus, John is going to use the word love 27 times in 15 simple verses in this one section of Scripture. So it's important as we begin and as we walk over these next four weeks together, it's important that we understand the meaning of the word love. And it's a word that, to be quite honest, in our language here, in the English language, it's a word that's been hijacked. We, can, we use the word love to mean all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, we'll use the word love to mean something very significant, and then we'll use the word love about M&Ms, right? I mean, we'll, just, we'll use the word love, all, like, like for example, I might today say, I love UNLV basketball. And I do, man. I'm a big UNLV Rebel fan. Last year, we're not talking about very much, right? That's gone. It's over. But we had a great recruiting class, and we're looking forward to this upcoming season. I love... Any other Rebel fans in the house? Yeah, come on. I love UNLV basketball. So that's, that's one of the ways that we use the word love. Another way that I might use the word love, I'm going I'm to borrow you, Mickey. All right? Mickey didn't know I was about to do this, but I'm going to borrow Mickey right here. Mickey, stand up here with me for a second. This is Mickey. Everybody say, hi, Mickey. Hi, Mickey. I could say today, I love Mickey, right? I love UNLV basketball, but I, I love Mickey. Mickey's been, you and Jude, you've been in our church since the very first service, right? They were there on launch Sunday. So they, they've heard me preach a bunch of times, but, but Mickey's a good friend. I love Mickey. So that's a way that we'll use, another, another way that we'll use the word love, right? Everybody say, I love Mickey. See how loved you feel today? Amen. Awesome. And nobody will ever sit on the front row again, right? But we can say, I love UNLV basketball. We can say, I love someone, Mickey. Or, or we can use the word love beyond just a friendship kind of love. Like I could say today, I love my little granddaughter that is going to be born this week, right? 
July the 12th is the due date. I was, I was watching Hannah sing up here this morning, and I thought, man, she could go into labor like right now, like mid-song. Travis just had to take the notes. We got to go to the hospital. Mid-song, she, this baby is ready to be here. And, and I already, I love this little girl so much. And sometimes our love just begins to kind of spill over. Like this morning, I was on the internet looking around at some stuff. And guess, I, I found this and I ordered it today. <laughs> It'll be here on Friday. So, so my love for UNLV basketball and my love for this new little granddaughter, they're just kind of spilling into each other, right? So, so we use the word love in a lot of different ways, and, and it's very important, the context, because the context helps us discern exactly what we mean by the word love. Well, the Greeks, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, The Greeks were much more uh, intelligent than we were in their usage of the word love. What they did is they had four different words that all get translated into our English as the word love, but in their language, they use four different words. Let me kind of summarize them for you. First of all, they would use the word phileo. It's sometimes used in Scripture, the word phileo. The word phileo is translated with the word love, but we get our English word Philadelphia from it. It's the idea of brotherly love. It means warm affection, or it can mean a love of things like UNLV basketball, right? I love UNLV basketball. So it's a a love that's a warm affection, a kindness, a a feeling. A second word that they would use, this word is not used in Scripture, And it's the rarest word that was used by them for love. It wasn't used very often, but it's the word storge. The word storge referred specifically to familial love. Love between a husband and wife or a parent and a child or a sibling and their other siblings. So it was was love inside of the context of a family, storge. A third word that they would use was the word eros. We get our English word erotic. From this word. It's the kind of love that is often portrayed in Hollywood and in movies. It's a sensual or romantic kind of love that's very emotionally driven. The fourth word that they would use for love is the word agape. The word agape means a love that is finding one's joy in something as an act of the will. It's a choice. Thomas Aquinas defined the word agape this way. It is to will the good of another. John is about, in the letter we're about to read a section of, in these next 15 verses, 27 different times, he's going to use the word love. But get this. Every time he uses it, it's the word agape. Every time. It's never phileo. It's never eros. It's never storge. Every time he uses the word, it is the word agape. Agape love. That love that is an act of the will to find your joy. So so it's important that we kind of understand more about what this agape love is. So I want to give you three defining statements And this will be some foundation for us as we unpack this over the next four weekends. I want to give you some statements about what love is. Here's the first one. Love 
is a choice, not a feeling. We use the word love a lot of times talking about a feeling, and so we'll say, well, I fell in love. But then I fell out of love. I just don't love them anymore. There's just no love. What that means is you've chosen to stop because love, agape love, is not a feeling. It's a choice, which means it's a willful decision, not an emotional response. It's important. Here's the second one. Love is self-sacrificing, not self-serving. Love is self-sacrificing, not self-serving. It means that the focus is the well-being of the one being loved. It means love is not about what's in it for me. Agape love is about the benefit of the one being loved. Here's a third statement. Love is undeserved, not earned. Here's what that means. It's not loving them because they are lovable. It's not loving them because they deserve to be loved. It's loving them even though it's undeserved. Somebody told me after the service this morning, said, Pastor, you could do a marriage conference on just those three statements by themselves. These statements right here are worth coming for as we begin to think about what love looks like in our lives. Because the kind of love that John is about to write about, the kind of love that we're going to unpack over four weekends, the kind of love that we've experienced from God and God desires to manifest through us is this kind of love. It's agape love. And I think maybe the most defining statement about this love in the Scripture is found in 1 Corinthians 13. So I want to put 1 Corinthians 13 up here on the screen, just simply verses 4 through 8. And I'm going to read this to you out of the Amplified Bible. You say, what's the Amplified Bible? It's a Bible that I love to use in my study and my personal devotion life. The Amplified Bible, the translators of that Bible took the Greek words and they, they tried to really give you the full range and impact of the meaning of those words and how they wrote it. So sometimes it's cumbersome to read, but, but I want you to hear what this says about Love, and before I read it, know this. Every verb in here is present tense. Here's what that means. This is not describing the way love is supposed to be some of the time. It's not even describing the way love is supposed to be most of the time. What we're about to read is what God says love is supposed to look like all the time. You ready? Let's read it. Listen, listen. Love endures long and is patient and kind. That starts to hurt already, right? Not some of the time, not most of the time, all the time. Whenever I'm not acting that way, I'm no longer choosing to love. Love never is envious, nor boils over with jealousy. 
is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. Never. All the time. It never does. For it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy. (laughs) Don't make eye contact with them. Don't look at them right now. (laughs) Or fretful. Or resentful. It takes, get this, it takes no account. It means it doesn't keep score. It never keeps a record of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears bears up under anything and everything that comes. Is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. And it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Anybody else feel like you've been to the woodshed this morning? Like I feel? I know what you're thinking. Can anybody? Can anybody really love like that? Is that even possible? Only. God, only God, get this, he has loved you like that, and now he desires to love through you like that. But in my own strength, not going to happen. Left to myself, I can never love like that. But here's what John is about to say. We in Christ are never left to ourselves. Christ in us can love through us. Like this. So, so here's a spiritual reality I want to give you that I hope I think we'll be going back to over the next four weeks. But but here's the spiritual reality. 
my capacity for loving others is found in my personal experience with the love of God. Wait a minute, Pastor. Are you saying only Christians can love? I know some people that aren't Christians, and they, they love one another, and they love other. Are you saying only Christians can love? No, that's not what I'm saying. Because every human being is actually created and made in the image and likeness of God. So every human being has an experience. Listen, you woke up today, but, but, but not just you as Christians. Unbelievers, non-Christians, people of other faiths, they all woke up today to the sun shining over them, right? What keeps the sun shining? Why is the atmosphere and the cosmos all staying in place? I'll tell you why. Because it's held together by the infinite love of Almighty God. Every person has experienced to some degree the amazing love of God. So that capacity to love within human beings is part of being made in the image and the likeness of God. But what the scripture is about to teach us is that you and I will never know the full extent of this kind of love for other people apart from a fellowship relationship with him. If that makes sense, say amen. Let's read it together. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. We're going to read two verses this morning. John opens and he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not Know God, for God is love. Out of those two simple verses, I want to draw three foundational truths that will set us up for what we're going to be looking at for the next four weekends. And here's the first one. I have experienced God's love for me. And I wrote it that way because I wanted you to see that in first person. I wanted you to think about it in your own life. You, I, I have experienced, say it out loud with me. I have experienced God's love for me. John, as he opens these two verses, he opens with the word beloved. Now, in the English structure of a sentence, we don't do this. But in the Greek language, the importance of what's being said in the sentence is communicated in many ways by the order of the words in the sentence. So in the original Greek language, sometimes in English, our sentence misses something. But in this particular instance, it's exactly correct. The first word in the Greek sentence is this word, beloved. It's an adjective. An adjective tells us something about the noun. It describes, well, what's the noun? Look what he says, beloved, let us the, the noun that he's describing is us. He is talking about with this opening word that is so important. He's describing who we are as the community of believers, those who've been born again into relationship with God. He's describing us with this word, beloved. You and I 
as followers of Jesus, are the beloved. This word beloved is a word that means a person dearly loved, valued, and cherished. John is about to talk to us about the kind of love he wants us to demonstrate to others. But before he tells us what he expects of us, he's reminding us about who we are and how loved. He says, hey, let me tell you who you are. You are the loved, cherished, valued ones. Well, who loved, cherished, and valued? He's telling us that this is what God's heart towards us is. We are loved by God himself. Every time this word is used in the New Testament to describe people, it's always describing people who are in right relationship with God and each other through the power of the gospel. What's the gospel? Let me show it to you. John chapter 3, verse 16. What does it say? For God, what? So love. Now, don't skip over this little word, so. That's an important word. It could have just said, for God loved the world, and that'd be amen, right? But, but he didn't say that. He said, for God so loved the world. It means to this extent, to this degree, God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son that that what? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Here's what that means. That we'd all sinned against God, but God chose in his sovereignty to love us anyway. And he gave his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. And he rose again from the dead. And now you and I can respond to that and in faith surrender the control of our lives to Jesus. And we become a part of the beloved Here's what happened in salvation. In salvation, at the moment of salvation, if you, if you can remember back to the day that you gave your life to Christ, you remember recognizing that you were a sinner, that your sin separated you from God that you had broken God's laws, that you'd violated God's commandments, that you had, had, had sinned against the holy, righteous character of God, but you were convinced that God loved you anyway, and he loved you so much that he gave his son Jesus to die in your place, and in response to the so great love of God, you ran to Jesus to be saved and born again into the family of God. Amen? That's what happened at the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation, you and I became a part of this group called the beloved, the the valued, cherished loved ones of God. And it has a couple of practical implications, and I want to put them up here on the screen. I want you to read it out loud with me. Here's the first one. I want you to read this with me. You ready? One, two, three. I am a loved, accepted child. Here's what some of you think. I'm trying to be a loved, accepted child of the Father. Some of you think, "I'm, I'm working on Being a love. Pastor, I'm here today because I'm trying to be a loved, accepted. But John says, you're not becoming beloved. You are the beloved. Meaning this, 
I, as you sit here today, this morning, in this building, because of Jesus, if you have embraced the gospel, you are a loved, accepted child of the Father, and today it's not rooted in your performance. Today it's not rooted in your ability to do this and that and not do this and that. It's not rooted in you being religious enough. You are a loved, accepted child of the Father because of Jesus Christ. And there's not one thing you have to do today to earn that. You say, Pastor, how, how, how do you know that? Here's how I know that. Because God set his heart on you before you were you. Oh, what I'm about to show you, it's going to set some of you free. I want you to see it in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. And I'm reading it out of the message paraphrase because I love the way he captures it. But listen to what he said. Long before he, God, laid down earth's foundation. Now stop right there. Don't, don't look over here anymore. Look right here at me for a second. Look at me. Don't read on ahead of me. Look right here at me. I know you want to read it, but don't read it. Look at me. What's he talking about? He's talking about Genesis 1-1. Long before. What's Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth, right? Here's what he said. Long before that. Wait a minute. There was a before that? Yeah. How long was that? Forever. <laughs> Don't think about that too long. You have to grab some aspirin or Advil, right? That'll give you a headache. Forever. He didn't say a couple of weeks before. Long before. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, now you can look back. Look what it says. Long before God laid down the foundations of the earth, he had us in his mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his Love. There's not anything you have to do. Listen, before you were you, God chose to love you. You say, I, I can't. I, you got to explain that. Listen, I can't. Oh, but I'm glad I got in on it. You see, there's some stuff about God that I can't explain, you can't explain, and we can't understand. You know why? Because God's bigger in our brain. If he wasn't, that's not a very big God and one we should trust. But he's infinite. He exists outside the parameters of time. And what the Bible tells me is before you were even you, God set his heart on you and chose to make you the object of his love and affection. That means it's not because I was lovable. God didn't love me because I earned it. God didn't love me because I was trying hard. God in his infinite sovereignty chose to love you and to love me. I'm a loved, accepted child of the Father, and there's not one thing you got to do to earn it. But here's the second part. There's not anything you can do today to change it. Let me show it to you in the Bible. You're, not, you're looking at me like, I don't know. Let me show it to you. Paul wrote in Romans 8. Listen to what he said. Who? Who can separate 
us. The word separate is a Greek word that at its root means space. The implication is, who can create space? Who can remove us? Who can create a gap between what? Us. Who will separate us from what? The love of Christ. So Paul goes on a little rant here. Listen to what he says. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or nakedness or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. What's that? That's things in heaven. It's supernatural things. Nor things present. That's anything today. Nor things to come. That's anything in the future. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor... Wait a minute. you got to read this line out with me. What is it? Nor what? How many people in the room are created beings by God, right? Let me see your hand. We all are. Amen. We're all created beings by God. Here's what that means. You can't even separate yourself from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I am a loved, accepted child of the Father. I don't have to earn that. I can't change that. It's who I now am in Christ because of the gospel. You say, Pastor, if you tell people that, they're going to go live however they want to live. <laughs> You're right. But once you've experienced that, it'll change the way you want to live. I love the way the Bible, Paul writes in another, and he says, it's the kindness of God. That leads us to repentance. It's not the wrath of God. It's not the judgment. It's the kindness of God. We're so overwhelmed by this grace and this love that it compels us to surrender our lives to him moment by moment. So here's the the second practical reality. I am a loved, accepted member of the family. Read this out loud. I am a loved, accepted member of the family. What family? God's family. The beloved. (laughs) Here's what that means. When you got him, you got us. We are the family of God. Look what Romans 8 says about this. This is so incredible. Look what he says. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba. It's a word of intimacy. Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we, what does it say next? We, aren't you glad it didn't say we might be? We hope to be. We're trying to be. No, we are right now. What are we? We're what? The children of God. But, but get this. And if children, heirs, oh, that means we're getting something, amen? (laughs) Heirs, heirs also, heirs of who? And what does this say? Fellow heirs, it means joint heirs, with who? You know what that means? You and I, as followers of Jesus, have as much right to the coming kingdom of God as Jesus Christ himself. Is that because I earned that? No! God loved me so much that he's given me that by his grace. 
I have experienced God's love for me. But there are two other quick little things I want to point out. Number two, I have God's love in me. You see, at the moment of salvation, that's why John writes it this way. He says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God. That phrase, born of God, born of the Spirit, anytime you see it in the New Testament, it describes you and I receiving from God a new spiritual life. Like at conception in the womb, when that baby is conceived, that baby receives the gift of physical life. Then that baby is born into this world, and it begins to live out that physical life. At the moment of salvation, we receive a new life. It's not a physical life. It's a spiritual life. What happens is that God, by His Spirit, comes to live inside of us. Here's what that means. All the capacity to love found in God Himself (laughs) now dwells in you. Well, I I can't love like that. (laughs) Yes, you can. You know how I know? Because all the capacity to love found in God now dwells in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why when Paul wrote in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit, he said, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? What was the very first aspect? Love. Why? Because when we're allowing Christ in us to live through us by the power of the Holy Spirit, what does it look like? It reflects the character of God. And God, John's about to tell us, is love. We have all the capacity. Let me show you this in Romans chapter 5. Look at this. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been, what does it say right there? It's been what? Let me tell you what that means. I got a bucket up here. We think pouring something out is kind of like this. Give you a little bit, and I'll give you a little bit, and give you a little bit, and you a little bit, and you a little bit, and give you some over there. The love of God's just been poured out like, no, 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 here's what that says. Poured out in the Greek language is like this. Here's what that means. The love of God has been poured out. Not not, not just a little bit. He didn't just give you just enough to get through today. The love of God has been, he turned the bucket upside down. All of the capacity to love that is found in God has been poured out where? Within our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Well, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't love like that. Yes, you can. Not in your strength, but Christ. Listen, whenever I'm unloving, it's because I've allowed my flesh to take back control rather than allowing Christ in me by the power of the Holy Spirit to love through me. So here's the last reality. I've experienced God love, God's love for me. I now have God's love in me. Here it is. Look at it. God desires to express his love through me. 
Beloved. Beloved. John says, this is who you are. You're a loved, accepted child of the Father. You don't have to earn it. You can't lose it. You're a loved, accepted member of the family. All that God is now lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, let us love one another. It's a construction in the Greek language that that describes an expected outcome because of what he's just said. What did he just say? He just said, you're the beloved because you've experienced the love of God and because all that the love of God is now dwells in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's saying now you and I, the expected behavior is that we love one another. And then he goes on to add these because statements. He says, he says, for love is from God. Here's what he's saying. You've experienced, you know this love. And then in verse 8, he says, for because God is love and he now lives inside of you. Here's what Danny Aiken said in his commentary. Look at this. He said, love is his very nature. And acting in love is essential, is his essential character. Here's what that means. When I am allowing who God is in me to live through me in the power of the Holy Spirit, it will always be loving. Always. Why? Because it's just who he is. It's just who he is. It's going to be loving. It's going to be loving. Remember where we began. My capacity to love. My capacity for loving others is found in my experience personally with the love of God. That's why John adds this phrase there in verse 7. He says, Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Born is a, something that happened in the past, but knows is present active. It's continuous. Here's what John's saying. You know how you live this out? Here's how you live this out. Not by trying hard to love others. The way you live this out is by knowing Him. And the more you pursue intimacy with Him, the more you press in, and the more you come to know and experience and enjoy the amazing love of God, guess what's going to happen? It's just going to spill out. It's just going to spill out of your life. Last quote. Danny Aiken said it this way. Well, before I read that, look at verse 8 again. Verse 8, he said, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. What does that mean? Well, look at this quote. If your life is not characterized by a God-like love, a love that even cares for its enemies, then you don't know God. Now, in some cases, what John is saying is, hey, you don't know God at all. That's why you don't have a capacity to love people. You don't know God. But I think the greater implication here is you don't know him like you could know him. Here's what he's saying. If there's a love problem in your life with someone that you know, It's really not a problem between you and them. It's a problem between you and him. Because the more you know him, the more he in you will love them. So I don't have to work hard on fixing this. 
I just need to pursue him. And as I pursue him, it may take time, but as I pursue him, here's what will happen. This sovereign, willful, gracious love will be manifested through my life out of the over. See, we try to get it. We try to fix this. That's not the issue. This is the issue. And when I let him overwhelm me, then he through me will love others. Just like 1 Corinthians 13 describes. Beloved, let us love one another. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that over these next few moments, the power of your Holy Spirit would take the truth of your word and speak to people in this room. God, would you right now communicate straight to the heart as only you can. As you sit quietly before the Lord this morning, we're about to sing a powerful song of response. It's not a time to slip out early. It's an opportunity to worship this God that so loves us. As we do that today, if you're here this morning and you have never responded to God's love for you, maybe for the first time in your life, you've heard that God loves you in spite of who you are. And you're ready to receive his gracious gift of salvation. If that's you this morning, in a moment when we stand and sing this powerful song of worship, we have some pastors that are going to be here at the front. You can come to any one of us and simply say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can experience the salvation that is found in the amazing love of God for you. For those of you that are already believers... You already know Jesus. Maybe even though you know he loves you and you're a loved child of the Father, that you have been running from him. You've been warring against him. Listen, he loves you anyway. His love is unchanging. And my prayer for you today is that the love of God would so overwhelm you that in brokenness before him, you would turn over whatever that is, yield it to him, and claim his forgiveness. We're going to open these steps up up here like an old-fashioned altar. You can just come be alone with God if you want. Maybe you're just so overwhelmed with his love, you just want to come and kneel here and just be in his presence. For others of you today, our pastors are here to pray with you. If you've got something in your job, your health, your family, a relationship, your finances, and you just want a pastor to pray with you. We want to, this is a time, we want to pray for you and pray with you. You just come. We'll pray for you. If you want to be saved today, you come. All you got to say, I need Jesus. That's it. Father, in this moment, would you have your way. Move among us for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.